Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. We spent some time this morning talking about mental health and addictions and public safety and the ways in which that is kind of impacting what we do in this province. We heard from the Premier on that, where some of the money from the federal government is going to go. We talked about the city of Vancouver, you know, putting mental health teams on the ground to help people. But we don't often know the stories behind the story, right? Particularly when it comes to politicians. Why do they advocate perhaps so strongly for one position over another? Well, sometimes they have very personal reasons for that. Well, joining us now to talk more about that is Eleanor Sturko, BC Liberal MLA. Good morning and thank you for being here. Good morning, Simi. Uh, thank you so much for sharing this story with everybody. Was it was it difficult for you to decide to come forward and talk about your issues? Yes, actually. Um, not only like, I have to say that talking about it is, I haven't been nervous for a media interview in years, but I do feel nervous. And, you know, part of it is, that I haven't completely you know, worked through my um, the trauma that I've experienced in my career as a police officer, but also the stigma that does exist when we talk about mental health and addiction. And but you know, for myself, I think one of the reasons that I decided that I would share my story is that you know, decriminalization obviously isn't the only way that we can break down the stigma and help people reach out. If we share our stories and show that people that you might not suspect in you know in your purview could be struggling and, and that these things happen and people can get better if they have the right support. Yeah, you've advocated for a compassionate approach when it comes to mental health and addictions care. Why is that? What issues can you talk about with us that you've been going through? Yeah, well, you know, really early on in my policing career when I was serving in Langley, I was witness to um, very dramatic suicide of a person um, who had been released from Langley Memorial Hospital um, with suicidal ideation released. And then on the way home from the hospital with their parent, with their mom, actually jumped in front of a semi on Highway 1. Um, and my partner, police partner and I were witness to that and attended that scene. And it really has been something that was very impactful for me. And um, just maybe, I guess, a few years ago, I was diagnosed with PTSD. And it's been something that you know, not only has been affected myself and my family, but really has, I guess, over the years as I've worked through the trauma and thinking about that incident has been a major inspiration in why I I want to advocate so much and so strongly to create a framework that really supports people who are suffering and their families. How did that PTSD impact you I understand it. It led to you perhaps, you know, drinking more alcohol than when you look back now, you think I shouldn't have been doing that. Yeah, I mean, and that's one of the insidious things about using alcohol or other substances as a coping mechanism that, you know, maybe it starts off innocently as, you know, having a stressful day um, and and having a couple of glasses of wine. And, you know, over time, as my symptoms got worse or my, you know, my ability to cope became less. I drank more and more until, you know, I was 
at the end of the day, particularly if things were very traumatic or stressful, I couldn't wait to get home to drink. Um, and because I had my symptoms included, you know, intrusive thoughts and panic attacks that alcohol made those things seem less, you know, instead of reaching out and getting help and developing those healthy coping mechanisms. And, and I have to say, you know, it actually also deeply impacted my wife and my kids as well. I, you know, I hadn't cried. I have, you know, honestly, I didn't cry for like nine years because I was so emotionally suppressed. I just couldn't cope with the overwhelming sense of emotion. And then of course the guilt and part of the, I think that there's people maybe out there listening right now, you feel so guilty about the way that you're treating people and, and that you're, you feel like you're failing and that maybe you don't even deserve help. Right. But the reality is that you do, you do deserve help. And that's why I really want to work with Ken Falcon. And, and, you know, I have to say too, this is one of those times we put out our policy, but when it comes to helping people and really making a difference, it's one of those times, I don't care if they copy off our test paper, you know, right. if the NDP would, would, would do some of the things that we're advocating for. It's all about helping people. You deserve help. Um, we need to reduce the amount of personal shame people feel so that they reach out because, you know, getting better is possible. My life is amazing. Obviously. I mean, look at how blessed I am. I'm an Emily and now I get to turn such a tragic incident that, that I was a witness to into something that can help us move our province forward. And it's, I, I hope that, I mean, sorry, Simia, I just, you know, the, the mother, the voice of the mother, the cries of her um, have stayed with me, even as a, I hear her voice still. That's one of the symptoms that I have an intrusive oh. sound, but I want her to know if she ever would hear that, you know, her son's life obviously had meaning, but her son's death had meaning to me as well. And I intend to continue on working as hard as I can to impact positive change in the province. One of the things that has come up in this plan that the BC Liberals have put forward is expanding the use of involuntary care. How do you feel about that? I think in some circumstances it will be appropriate. And, you know, in the circumstance where, um, you know, of this situation, I think one of the gaps is the ability for families to have input into the circumstances, you know, and and I think over time some policies in, in some of our health authorities have changed to allow for a little bit more inclusion of family in a mental health um, scenario, but still there's a gap there and we need to close that gap. In terms of involuntary care, you know, we've been uh, very clear that we do believe that in some circumstances, like it's not about... <laughs> Sometimes it gets portrayed that, you know, we're painting a picture of everyone who's not ready yet to go to treatment will suddenly be incarcerated. And that's certainly not our vision. It's for the extreme circumstances where people are really are in an imminent threat of danger to themselves or others and that they don't, you know, their addiction or substance use disorder has robbed them of an ability to be able to care for themselves. And, and those are the, the circumstances that we want to explore. And, you know, under our Mental Health Act, currently people have their charter rights respected. And it's not um, just an arbitrary detention of people. There are um, ways in which people can actually um, fight their, their detention. And, and, and we have set, like measures in place to make sure people's rights are, are always um, considered. And, and in fact, it's not about trying to punish people or keep them off the streets in terms of, you know, something that's mean. I think the real cruelty would be not to help people who deserve it. Right. That sounds like a system that needs a lot of nuance, though, right? So is it possible, do you think, to set it up so that you can 
make sure the right people are the ones who are involuntarily cared for? Or is there, do you think, just too much room here for something to go wrong? No, I think absolutely we can. I think it's about setting up a framework that provides tools for physicians and nurses who are making assessments to make sure that they have all the pertinent information possible so that they can make a proper assessment, particularly if they're dealing with someone that they may have only met for the first time in a crisis. Um, and it's possible. And believe me, Simi, I've been spending the last almost 14 years thinking about um, ways that we could fix some of these issues. I used to, when this first happened, I was obviously devastated emotionally. And while working through this through my own therapy and stuff, you know, I, I went through a period of blaming the doctors. And, and then I started, you know, it's not their fault. They're working within a framework that is provided to them. But we need to have a look at what that framework looks like and what are the resources available you know, yeah. that we can do. And, and I think that's going to be the key. And yeah, it's going to be complex with nuances, but, but life is complex and we can definitely work through the solutions. That's very true. What made the difference for you, do you think? And what do you want people to take away from hearing your story? Well, the difference for me, there's a couple of differences. One of the differences for me is that I'm a veteran of the military and of the RCMP, obviously. So I receive, um, my therapy, I see a registered psychologist and medication is free to me. And I think that was one of the policy pieces um, for the opposition that I really feel strongly about is removing financial barriers for people to getting help. You know, I could uh, access counseling or, or therapy, what I needed, and I wouldn't have to worry about what the cost was. And we need that's why it's so important to me that in our policy, we're taking those barriers away so that anyone who is ready for help, it's not about whether you can afford it or not. So, and the other thing for me was that I actually had very caring coworkers. And so when I started to, they noticed that I was short tempered and, you know, that I was upset at work and things were not, they knew, they knew me well and knew that things were not right that they were brave enough and I thank them so much. And they noticed that they, they pulled me aside one particular sergeant and said, L something is going on. Let's talk. And it really started me on a journey of, of deciding it was time to get help. Well, I can't thank you enough for joining us this morning to talk about it. And hopefully somebody out there listening, maybe this will help them. So thank you for that. Thank you for having me. And if someone out there does need help, please reach out to your doctor. If you can't get a doctor, contact your MLA or someone in the community close to you.